Hey everybody, welcome to the Living with Power Hope Podcast. I'm Lena Abijamro and I am your host. It is great to be back with you today. Another week has passed. Hope you've had a great one. We just are in the middle of the holiday season and we have an awesome holiday lineup for you. We're going to be talking about my book, Don't Tell Anyone You're Reading This, and it is uh, a book you want to get if you haven't gotten it yet. Listen, I'm serious. This book tells more about me than you will ever want to know. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It, it is a book about sex. I will admit that that might make some people uncomfortable, but it is a book that will help you encounter God's grace and experience freedom in a deeper fashion than you might already be experiencing. This book is not for those who uh, have big problems or little problems or wish they didn't have problems or think somebody else in their life has problems. This is really for any a man or woman who longs uh, to feel a deeper intimacy with God. And so it's important enough that we want to spend just a few weeks here. We've given you a couple of the chapters for free uh, on the podcast here, but we're also going to spend a couple of weeks uh, talking about what the book is about. Uh, and we're going to be airing uh, some interviews that I've done uh, recently that I think will be of interest to you. And uh, maybe towards the end, I think we've got a couple of sermons prepped. So we've got a great lineup here leading up to the holidays. Uh, hopefully you'll enjoy it. It's a little lighter fare in some ways. Uh, the book is available on Amazon or you can check out drlinabook.com. Uh, as always, we're so grateful you're here. If you haven't subscribed to our podcast, do it now and uh, uh, check out what we've got prepared for the podcast for you today. Dr. Lena Abujamra is a pediatric ER doctor who now practices telemedicine. She's a podcaster, conference speaker, Bible teacher. She founded Living With Power Ministries to provide medical care and humanitarian help to Syrian refugees and others in disaster areas. She hosts a radio program. She's the author of several books, including Fractured Faith, and our featured resource today, creatively titled, Don't Tell Anyone You're Reading This, Christian Doctors' Thoughts on Sex, Shame, and Other Troublesome Issues. Dr. Lena, welcome back. How are you doing today? Hey, Chris, it's always so much fun to be back with you and even uh, talking about uncomfortable things, but thank you for having me on. Well, you are very vulnerable, and I w- I'm going to do something here I, I try not to do because I don't usually, I don't like to put disclaimers on the program to scare people away, but I think all that really does is to make people, <laughs> why are you having to disclaim this? I want to hear. <laughs> uh, but if you're a parent and you have young children who are listening and you're uncomfortable with them hearing about Uh, sexual struggles, pornography-related issues. That's our topic today. Uh, So parents, I just want to tell you that, and I'll do that throughout the program, because I want you to be as vulnerable as you want to be, uh, Lena, given the constrictions of of Christian Mm. radio in the middle of the day. You know, I'll just leave it with that. Right. But there must be a reason why you felt that at this time you needed to write a book like this. Tell me why. You know, I hit a tipping point, I think, one day a few months ago, uh, and I had, you know, it was, a, it was a, in the aftermath of reading many big names of people that I had listened to and respected in ministry who utterly and profoundly imploded because of sexual sin. And this was different than, you know, back in the 80s, Jim Baker, and the stuff that you would hear, you know, it turned into SNL, you know, Saturday Night Live skits. It just felt like it was getting closer to home. And it was the unexpected, like people that you thought, no, surely not. And and finally, the tipping point was one story that I heard that just, it was someone that I knew. It was a worship leader that I respected. And I knew enough of his story to know 
that there was uh, some past years before marriage, some issues that were dealt with. And then as a, as a result, he was walking in obedience and writing worship songs that had moved me. He's probably my favorite worship person at, uh, in, in, in my circle of, of church. And he had had uh, a story that is public uh, and it became public in that time. And something broke in me where I realized, like, we're not doing this right. I don't understand how here we are. I mean, I'm 51 now. I've grown up in the church. I spent the bulk of my life in the United States, but really heavily influenced by Christian teachers, Christian radio in ministry. And the reality that like you could be functioning in a church, leading, honoring God, writing things that move people and still have a secret part of your life that ends up exploding and imploding and everyone watching going, what is this about Christianity? And it just felt like we're just not speaking clearly enough. And I'm, of course, my background is pediatric emergency medicine. So by the way, I'm very sensitive to also presenting this in a way that I know my nephew's, you know, always one ear on the radio, he's nine. And, and so I, I understand that tension, but, but it felt like I needed to write something like the conversations that I have with people in the ER, but also the reality of it. And when I was sort of venting to my friend and agent, Don Pape, who's amazing and who happened to know this person. And I was, first of all, verifying, is this real? Can it truly be true? Um, I was so worked up about it. And his response to me, I think, kiddingly was, well, you should write a book about it. And you, of course, like who in their right mind wants to write about sex? I mean, come on. I already wrote the book. Nobody wants to write about singleness. And, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding. First of all, I'm single. I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I've never married. So and I've been as obedient you know, as I could to the Lord. So, you know, again, not to overstate this, but I believe the teachings on the Bible that if you are single, you're to remain chaste until marriage. So, you know, I hadn't outwardly had a dirty story, so to speak, but the spirit of God spoke as loudly as I've ever heard him in that moment. And I knew without a shadow of doubt that that was my destiny. And so I, it was like a Tetris puzzle where I felt like if anyone can write about this first because of the way that I'm able to address topics that are uncomfortable because of my 25 years of ER, you know, medicine. And secondly, because of my own baggage, because whoever's listening, do not be fooled. Every one of us has a heart that has been marred by sin because of Adam and Eve and the fall. And we all have temptations. And the question isn't, whether there are temptations, but what we do with them. And everyone has thought things and done things that are a little more than they ever thought they would. And either we shove it under the rug or we ignore it until it's not doable. And I knew that because I had a job in medicine and I wasn't, I was an independent agent, a free agent, so to speak, I had the freedom to say things in a way that others couldn't. And honestly, Chris, I was sick of it all. I was sick. Did you ever just get to a point where you look at the world and go, no more, no more, Satan? It just felt like like we have been brutalized by the evil one, you know, just like constant sexualization and temptation thrown at us. We used to be able to, to protect, like you wouldn't go to the store down the street or you wouldn't, you know, there was warnings on TVs. Like if you watched the show before a certain time, you wouldn't be exposed to certain things or you had to get HBO to see it. And now it's like every single place we turn, it's like sex, 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 sex. And you're just, you can't take it anymore. And so even an innocent bystander is affected by the bomb that falls down the street, right? Because there's shrapnel. And it's felt like 
as a Christian, that's the image that I had, like enough. It's time to say things clearly and to use a story that I knew well to say, I can speak into this because this is my story. And I don't care what everybody thinks about me. What I care is, Lord, what do you think about me? And what do you want to do in my life? And so it's time to tell my story in a way maybe that I had flirted with before, that I'd sort of insinuated in my books when you read about you know, the, my story. I think you can go back now and be like, oh, yeah. But it was time to do it maybe a little bit more 2023. I yeah. think that's the best way I would say it. Don't tell anyone you're listening to Chris Fabry Live today because Dr. Lena Abujamra is with us, pediatric ER doctor, and she's written Don't Tell Anyone You're Reading This, a Christian doctor's thoughts on sex, shame, and other troublesome issues. Here's a quote from the book. I've spent my entire adulthood trying to convince myself that I don't have a problem with sex. But why would I spend so much energy on something that wasn't a problem? <laughs> uh, so Lena's got to be honest and vulnerable, open. And if you're a parent, you have young children and you're driving home from school, I'm just telling you, we're going to talk openly and honestly. It may, to be honest with you, it may open you know avenues of talking with your kids about things that you haven't talked with them about that you want to. So I just want to tell you that here in the middle of the day. Um, is, that, is that true that... You have tried your whole entire life, adult life, trying to convince yourself that you don't have a problem with sex. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you know, I grew up in a, in a Baptist church, gave my life to Jesus at a young age, on, wanted to honor the Lord. Like, I remember, you know, a desire to obey. So I'm not, you know, honestly, I've, I've written this book for people like me, people who surrendered to Jesus, convinced he's the one. And aimed my life in, you know, after high school to go and pursue whatever it was that God wanted me to pursue, but believed in no sex before marriage, believed the Bible taught no sex before marriage. I now understand the purity culture of the eighties, but I grew up in Lebanon in the eighties. We moved in 87. And so well into the nineties and 2000. And so I don't know that I was marred by the purity culture, which if you're listening and you're not familiar, that, that was purity culture was this era in the U S where you know, the Joshua Harris era, I would, you know, overarch, you know, label it in a macro way of saying that was the era when you were told, like, if you honored God with your you know, body and you didn't do certain things before marriage, then God would give you the, I guess for me, the man of your dreams, you know, and, um, and your soulmate and all those promises that ended up being really empty because that's not God's way. I mean, it's not a tit for tat. We're not in a contract with God. Like if we obey him, he'll do certain things. But but there was that shadow over all of us, I think, in that era of sort of believing somehow that if I just, you know, don't do certain things with, you know, in my dating life. And for me, I mean, it was easy because my parents didn't really give us a lot of freedom to date. My dad's rule was you become a doctor first and then you can date. And so in a way, I felt like because of that, like I was off the hook. But I had a secret life, in a sense, a secret place where all sorts of sexual sin grew. In fact, you know, when I wrote up that statement in the book, you know, I, 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 the context is I'm talking to my therapist and I say to her, for someone who doesn't have a sex life, I sure spend a lot of time thinking about sex. And her response was so on. She says, you do have a sex life. You just don't have a healthy and fulfilling one. Hmm. I think this is immensely wise because... I do believe God has created us sexual beings. Like it's not, you don't overcome sexual sin by saying, oh, I just don't have a sex life. That's, that's silly. We're humans. We're created with hormones. We are meant to function a certain way. And, and 
Um, but yet we're broken, and we know that in Christ, before Christ. We, we are born in a broken world. And I don't think we fully understand what that means and how the process of crucifying that flesh, how intense that is in life. I think we think the moment we say yes to Jesus, somehow all our previous desires just dissipate. And then it's like, oh, la, 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 everything's great and happy. But but then you wake up with yourself and you kind of go, well, why do I still get mad? And why do I still overeat? And why do I still want to watch these things and enjoy, you know, acting out in a certain way sexually and on and on and on. And I think, I, I don't think, I think we we, we give ourselves uh, ourselves a respectable label if we're not committing the really bad stuff, if we don't have same-sex attraction, if we're not, you know, trans or desire to be a different sex, now that would be the era that we're living in. Back in the 80s, it was like, oh, if you didn't divorce, you were really good. But if you didn't divorce, that didn't mean that you had a healthy sex life or a God-honoring sex life. And so all of those nuances, I think, um, ha- I've had to understand and grow in understanding. But as a but but moving aside from all the theory, what that looked like in practical life, because I think, you know, when you're sort of thinking about that, well, what does that mean? Well, you know, on the outside, I didn't have sex. I'm a virgin. Initial a subtitle of this book was a, the sexual memoir of a 50 year old virgin. And so people can hear that. And if you're not safe today, it's a point of ridicule. I think people are embarrassed to admit they're virgins in our era. Imagine, like people joke if you're a virgin at 20. Imagine if you're admitting you're a virgin at 50. That's if you don't know Christ. But if you believe in the God of the Bible and you submit to the teaching of scripture, then you might be like, oh, wow, she's not married. She hasn't had sex. That's incredible. Nobody's doing that anymore. And you sort of elevate these people. Maybe if you honor God and his word, you might elevate that person. But that doesn't, again, you're focused on on, on, on things that our culture has construed when what God sees is past that to your heart. And ultimately, and I think John Piper has impacted my teachings, my life and my, his teachings have impacted my life deeply. And one of the things that he has said in the, that I've listened to again and again in the last six months is this concept that all sin is rooted in disbelief. And so when it comes to like even living out your sexuality and what we how we do it, whether it's in your thought life, in what you see, and what you allow yourself to see, because now you have access to everything on a small phone, you know, or in reality, like relationships that you have that you shouldn't have. The spectrum of sexual sin is wide, and it's it, it's 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 equal opportunity sexual sin, hetero, homo, it doesn't matter. Like it's everyone has uh, some area of, of of lust of the flesh, and. Uh, and, and Piper's point is that all sin is rooted in disbelief. And as I've grown in my Christian walk, and I think what has been challenging between when I was 15 or 25 or now in my 50s is this reality that though our faith in God ought to be stronger with time, the battle for faith has become or can be increasingly difficult. And the more you struggle with believing God's goodness in your life, the harder it is to be free of all sin because all sin is rooted in disbelief. And so you could tell yourself, well, I don't have a sexual problem because I'm a virgin or because I am not having premarital sex or because I'm not cheating on my spouse or because I'm not watching porn. But everyone knows ourselves. Everyone knows what you deal with and how you numb the pain in your life. And I guarantee you that right now, 2023 and the last, I'd say five years, Christians in the United States are hurting. They might've been hurting before, but I think the level of pain now, you say, how do I know? Well, it's all over. We know the numbers of 
people who are suffering from depression and anxiety are through the roof compared to before. We know that people are lonely through the roof. The New York Times writes about that every other week. I mean, this is well known, not just outside of the church, but in the church as well. We know the porn addiction rates. We know the porn addiction rates in the church. We know these are not secrets. We know we're hurting when Christians in the United States have completely changed what we believe. So many churches have changed what we believe about God's word because we wanted to fit our comfort zone of what we're doing and what we're not doing. And all of it is rooted in some level of disbelief in what, in God's goodness. And for me, I think that theme was evident as I wrote my last book on deconstruction, where I felt that the greatest source of my pain was the local church. And I believe in an era where people are less church going than they've ever been. And where people are, even if they go to church, they're less committed to church than they've ever been. I think there is, it should not be a surprise to us that deconstruction and sexual sin go hand in hand. It is simply a natural product of hurt to turn to what satisfies the flesh to feel better for a moment because you're deeply wounded inside over people that shouldn't have wounded you. And I think that is a crisis in our churches right now. And that may be an explanation, this, this weird, you know, discommunity, lack of community that we have with other Christians that has fed the problem of just turning to whatever feels good in the moment to uh, feel less bad about what really hurts you in your life. And so those well, are the themes that God has been teaching me in the last few years that I've, I think I've, I've tried to explain in a... I think in a in a much better fashion in the book. <laughs> well, <laughs> but you, I know it's a you, lot. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell after reading the book and just hearing you that there that, that God has been doing a work, and the way that it is working mm-hmm. it out is you're not only vulnerable about the the sexual temptation that you've struggled with uh, since you were a child, but also yeah. you're dealing with the Christian hustle addict, and. As I think about you, because yeah. I've known you, I've known you for a long time. I remember the first time I think I ever, first time I met you was at a National Religious Broadcasters, and y- you mm. you talk so fast, and your mind went so quickly, and you were so on top of everything, and you were taking all these, you know, the trips and the ministry, and you're doing the the ER doctor thing, and it was just like, wow, this is you know this here's somebody who is doing just a lot in the world, and you're so vulnerable in the book that you said. You stayed busy so that you wouldn't have to think about some of the things that you were de- the, the the places in your life that were wounded, so that you could you know the busyness salve that didn't it? Yeah, well, no doubt about it. I mean, again, all these. It's funny how you you know God puts us in eras and times, and He writes stories in our life. And I think it's not a surprise. All of these things, the fact that I was in a mega church that honored over busyness for years. It was, I, I think our Christian culture in general to this day, mega church or not, I think we honor this, oh, you're serving Jesus. You're doing so much. There's such a sense of bravo to people who are, you know, stretching themselves thin for Jesus so that, you know, now the, you know, so many authors that now impact me are authors like who are, who are really pushing against that and saying what we really need is silence and solitude with God. And what we know, I mean, I didn't, you know, all of us know what's right, right? But we just ignore it because because it feels good to be lauded by others. It feels good to be told you're great. Everybody 
wants to be affirmed. You have to find your affirmation somewhere. And if it comes from serving Jesus, what's better than that? But, but it doesn't satisfy you to be doing, 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 doing. And so what we do when, when we're dissatisfied is turn to what feels good. And so, again, it, there are so many ways we do it. Some people give in to binge eating. Other people binge watch movies. And they, and I don't think I, that is not honoring to God. And you can go, you could literally spend a week watching a show minute after minute. And that is not right. You could end up reading, you know, romance and fiction, which is a little bit in the vein of what I've struggled with in my life because of a lot of different reasons. You could end up watching porn because it moves you away from reality for a, mi- for a while, or you could end up finding it in a re- actual relationship with someone outside of the reality of your life, be it in a massage parlor, as some have done, or in an actual you know, affair, because it, you, it allows you to escape for a moment and, and on and on, or other addictions, or you drink, or you, you know, use drugs or whatever it is. Now we, it's okay to smoke pot. And so that might be a release. And so we have so many ways of dealing with that. And, and a lot of us think, well, I would never do that. And yet, the statistics show, just looking at porn as an example, that, I mean, shocking statistics of even, let me, let me just pick on one without getting into the men, which, which are really high, but only 13% of self-identified Christian women say they never watch porn. That means 87% of Christian women have watched porn. Now, that doesn't mean they're watching it regularly, but, but that's huge. Think about that. That's the, the 55% of married men, 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. It, 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 like, so the numbers betray us. 68% of church-going men and more than 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Okay, I'm, and, and the book isn't about porn. The book is about all of the things that we turn to in order to numb the boredom and the pain and the hurt in our life because it takes a lot of work to find healing. It has taken me a lot of work to get to the place where A, I'm willing to admit that there's pain and B, to find healing, which is not a surprise to God that my ministry's vision and mission is to bring hope and and healing to the hurting. Hmm. I've done it to Syrian refugees. I've done it with the Lebanese, with the Ukrainian refugees. And now, as best as I can, I want to continue to do it with the lives of American men and women in the church who have committed to follow Jesus, who look around them and say, man, is this it? Is this the life we signed up for? Because it just doesn't feel as exciting and as fulfilling as we want it to be. And and the truth is that it is. We just don't know how to get there. And we haven't dealt with what hurts us so that we keep falling back in the same trap of disappointment, sin, hustle, repeat, on and on, these cycles of failure. And the more you fail, the less you believe God's power to change you. And then you kind of go, where is this God? And who is this God? Well, I'll tell you what. He's not gone anywhere and he loves you and his word is true. And all the things we've heard about him are indeed true. If you just give him a chance to step in and do things his way for a change. But our main prayer before the program today was for that freedom, freedom from the slavery, because that's what sin really is. It is enslaving. And what we need is not just behavior modification and then the ability to say no and no and oops. And it's the ability for intimacy with God himself. That's what Lena talks about in Don't Tell Anyone You're Reading This, our featured resource today at chrisfabrylive.org. 
Dr. Lena Abujamra is with us today. She's written a really vulnerable book. And I'll say again to parents, if you have kids in the, you're just tuning in, you have kids in the, the car with you or in your house, um, don't tell anyone you're reading this is about sex, shame, and other troublesome issues. And we're going to talk about it. So just wanted you to know that. Tell me, Lena, what happened when you sat down with your counselor? You had decided this is going to be the day when I tell my counselor my besetting sin, what I have struggled with for decades at that point, I think. What what went through yeah, your mind and how did you t- talk about that? Well, and well, in a minute, well, it's 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 not that it finishes. You have ongoing. The temptations don't stop. The struggle doesn't stop. I think this is the naive part of 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 so many Christians like my like. I think you think that it's eventually going to stop, and that's victory. Victory is not that temptation stops or that the struggle becomes easier. Victory is that you learn where to turn, but you can't do that until you are able to process what's going on and why you're doing what you're doing. And which is why I spend a lot of times in the book talking about the why, but you know, so, so, I mean, my scenario, practically speaking, you know, you're like many people probably who um, go to church, you, you, there's always one or two areas that we struggle with. You know, it's always like the guy who loses his patient, it's his you know, anger issues, or you got the person who, you know, might do whatever sin areas, you know, drinking, you know, or, or, or porn, you know, or whatever sin area that we gravitate towards, or maybe your sin areas that you don't give yourself to your spouse. And that's, you know, that's the way you control situations. And so you go to church and the pastor preaches about it and, 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 and they preach about sin and you raise your hand and you want to change. And, and so that's like my story, you know, I wanted to honor the Lord and I, I, I went, you know, I'm, I started a ministry. I'm teaching the Bible, but like there's this little, and by God's grace, my sin didn't become, you know, there's like you mentioned just now, the woman who finds herself pregnant. Honestly, it's just circumstances that I didn't find myself in that. If I had the right circumstances, I might be that person in that story. But so you live your life sort of with this bear on your shoulder, constantly telling you you're not enough, that, you know, all the bad things that are happening in your life are because of that sin area in your life, whatever it is. And it can be worse than others or less than others. It doesn't matter. This isn't about comparing to others. It is the reality of our conscience, whether it's in tune with God or just, you know, under the condemnation of the evil one telling you you're never good enough, you don't deserve, you constantly interpret things by that sin. And you confess and you try to change and you fail and you tell yourself, I wish there was someone I could tell, but who to tell? And the longer you wait, the more your spiritual resume grows, the harder it is to, be, to tell because who do you, you become like embarrassed and ashamed and you can hardly look at people and say it. And, and also because a lot of us, it's like sort of disgusting. Like you tell, you know, the things that you struggle with, you're ashamed of because they're also like, sometimes they're dirtier than you ever thought you would think and do. And, and you might gloss over it. You might very much, I mean, who hasn't gone to a young adult or teen, you know, group and they're raising their hand, I'm struggling with lust. You know, of course, every teenager struggles with lust. Like it's like you roll your, you roll your eyes and you move on or the men in the celebrate recovery group. You know, I mean, there's like some things that we've also made respectable in a certain way in the church. But, but you're not really hitting those things that make you really ashamed. And so I went to therapy for something else. I went to therapy for a number of things. There was, um, I, I was in that stage of deconstruction in my life, which was really when I was wrestling with God over his church and, and, and my relationship with his church because I was hurt by a pastor who had imploded and his leadership and his 
his failure really affected the way that I see God and I believe God. And I wrote Fractured Faith with Moody Publishers uh, about that topic. That book has touched so many people. I'm so grateful for the, the, the second half of the story there. But those years were hard. And part of going to counseling was to deal with that. But also I had some other personal family stuff that I needed to work through. And, um, and I, but I knew when I started going that there was a thing beneath the thing. And I, it's like anything. I started walking closer to the thing beneath the thing. And I, then I, you know, after weeks, even months, I, I started talking about my personal life and the, you know, my own prior broken engagements and also the loss of a, of a person that I thought I would marry back in my twenties that had hurt me far more than I had processed or accepted that it had. And, and I started getting closer to the fire. And, you know, you test the waters when you're confessing both to God, you know, God knows, but you're also now wanting to come out of hiding. And the closer I, I tested the waters, the more I realized, like, I am the one who's going to have to do this work. No one's going to do it for me. No one else knows, but I'm the one who's trapped in this, in this prison and, 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 you know, the beauty of therapy and why I think if you don't have funds to go to therapy, learn from what I learned. That's why I write books, because not everybody can have the luxury of going to therapy. But it helped me because it created a safe environment in an era where I did not have that in the local church. But also, I didn't find that in the local church for all the years that I was in small group ministry and local church. Maybe that I was part of the problem. Maybe I didn't know how to talk about these things, but maybe some of it was the way that we have set up our fellowship slash accountability hours in the local church, which I do talk about in the book. I think that's, I think we don't do it well. And so I didn't feel safety, whereas in counseling, because it's a confidential relationship, because I had a year or a year and a half into the relationship, I felt safe. I finally took a risk of coming clean. And I remember, even now I talk about it, I remember how ashamed I was to admit the worst. And honestly, Chris, I want to tell you something honest. As much as I, I confessed at the time, I had already asked God to forgive me a million times before. I knew, I, was, I knew God had forgiven me. Jesus had paid the price for my sin. But I still felt like there was a hidden area because I, didn't, I felt like there was something that if people found out, I would lose respect and standing and all the things that we think are important. And even in those early sessions where I, I unfolded some of the stuff, do you know that when I sat down to write the book, I said it in a much more brutally honest way. I know my therapist hmm. was one of the first people that read the book. And I think she was probably, I, so I laugh now because I think she probably learned things reading the book that I was too ashamed to say out loud in the sessions. And yet that was the beginning of my true path to freedom. Now, now, again, freedom is bought by, right. I don't want to be yes. any confusion. For, Jesus paid the price for my freedom. If I died 10 years ago, still mired in this pit, you know, or three years ago before I had written the book, I, my future would still be eternally secure. It's not that I spoke to my therapist that cleansed me. It's not that I wrote a book to let every human in the world know that cleansed me. What cleanses me, what has cleansed me, what continues to cleanse me is the shed blood of Jesus on the cross on my behalf. But what has freed me is being able to walk in the light both before God and before men and women and whoever reads the book. And the beauty of fighting temptation is that there's power in being in the light. I don't 
see Satan as power. And I say this cautiously because I think Satan is like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. But the temptation and the struggle does lose its strength when it's brought to the light. We know that. Scripture tells us that. And I have experienced it. That doesn't mean I don't have struggles that I need to crucify the flesh. I, I joke, I this is my, my favorite line now when I speak. I, I recently thought it up and I now I say it every chance I get. But if crucifying yourself was easy, everybody would be doing it. But, but we're not. It's why we're changing our mind in the church about all sorts of sexual sin. We no longer want to draw the lines that God has drawn. It's easier for us to make circles and soften the blows of whatever it is that we think should match the culture and make us feel comfortable. But at the end of the day, uh, the only way for us to live in freedom is to line up with what God wants and to start telling the truth about who we are and what we are and how deeply redeemed we are because of Jesus. Well, you're walking not only in the light, you're walking in grace and you're not do it's not the self-effort that gets you free. It is his grace and I can hear that coming through your voice. I want to I want to read a question from our listener when we come back and get you to respond to it. You can find out more about Dr. Lena Abu Jamra and her latest at our website chrisfabrylive.org. Dr. Lina Abujamra has written, Don't Tell Anyone You're Reading This, a Christian doctor's thoughts on sex, shame, and other troublesome issues. Again, to parents, if you're just tuning in, we're talking about this adult uh, sex, shame, and troublesome things here today. So just know that if you've got kids uh, around you. I want to ask this next question. I think there are a lot of people who are living under this weight, this guilt, this shame that you talked about. Lena, and an anonymous caller said, what is wrong with self-gratification? If there's no pornography involved, I'm not living a wild sexual life, I'm not married, but, and I'm not hurting anybody with this, quote unquote, what do I do with the the desires and all of that? Why would self-gratification not be something that I should uh, follow? Right. Right. I um, I have a chapter on the M word. Let's leave it at that. Self-gratification in the book that I think is almost worth the cost of the book, I think, to read it uh, because of and, and to really walk through sort of my my perspective on it. And I think um, because I spent so much of my life in my 20s and my 30s scouring every possible thing that any Christian leader that I respected wrote about this and the only, honestly, a lot of a lot of people have written about it, but but one who I think has impacted me was John Piper. He's written some really good stuff on it uh, ahead of his time, in a sense. And I and I get like he, you know, he's not everybody's favorite person in some circles, but on this, I think he hits it out of the park. But with that in mind, um, I think at the end of the day, there are there is no verse that says thou shalt not self gratify per se. Now, you know, granted. Christianity is about denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Jesus. So, you know, in a way, the moment you hear it described as self-gratification, there's something in you as a Christian that should say, wait, that's the opposite of, of Christianity. The Christian that I see Jesus describing is a Christian who gives up everything, who, who you know, the Samaritan, who like the least likely person who like gives of his own self and his money and, and, and his life and his time to take the person who should be his enemy and, and gives his life for him. So I think there's something just theoretically, besides the practical, that you kind of go... 
wow, like if your whole goal is to self-gratify, and I think that's why sometimes that sin feels sinful because because it's like what is the center of your wor- world is it you or is it Jesus but but apart from that is you know you kind of look at scripture and I think in my in my book I talk about the fact that you know at the end of the day there is some relief when you're struggling with that sin or what is could be potentially sin to, real, to realize well maybe maybe it's not a sin if you're not thinking about certain things there's a human body the the hormones do certain things you have to act out a certain way but here's what I found and I think most people who struggle with who are honest and who struggle with um, ongoing self-gratification is that it doesn't happen in a vacuum. We're not animals. We don't just wake up in the morning. You know, I mean, if that were the case, then marriage would like be so demeaning. Like if that's the only, like, and honestly, I think a lot of marriages struggle because that they're doing this act as a, bodily function? Well, it's not. Sex has never been just about the body. It's, it's and So this is why I think getting to the why is so critical. What I have found in my life that even though there has not been a verse that has come to my face that says, this is right or this is wrong, I have had to address the why in my life. What is it that drives me to act a certain way? And if, if it is Anything related to doubting God's goodness for your life, it is any, if it is anything related to a lack in your life, a need to find fulfillment outside of Christ, then it's sin for me. So if you are that person who's like, okay, you know, I'm just a bodily function. I don't ever have a sinful thought about anyone or anything, and I just feel good when I do it. Well, kudos to you. I had a guy send me a long email on his theory of why I shouldn't feel guilty about certain things because of it. And, and it doesn't matter. I have respect for that. And I understand that. But A, I think it's impossible to continue to stimulate oneself without the mind going places that are wrong and eventually the eyes going places that are wrong. And, and I think ultimately, again, you go back to this b- worldview of are you living to gratify yourself or to gratify the Lord in a sense, so to speak? And, and, and I would push it a bit further to say, find someone, you, you know, like, especially if you're a guy. I mean, I think still there's this, you know, I, I go back to sort of my book, Thrive, about singleness. I mean, if that's a single person who asked that question, I find I have a lot of compassion on, on single women because I don't think we're in a culture that still feels comfortable being the pursuer. And I actually think the men should pursue. And I know I will sound archaic and from the 1930s, but be that as it may, I believe like I already want to control everything. And so if I'm controlling, you know, going after a guy and asking the member, first of all, I don't think it's biblical. I think the Bible advocates that the men be in, in that capacity, but that's a whole nother controversial, you know, conversation that Chris and I can have later. But regardless, if you're a guy and you're struggling with this, Go look for a woman. There's plenty of single women. Like, do what God has wired you to do. There is a place to do it. My, myself included. If I find the right guy, I will get married. This isn't like there's not like some single person out there who struggles with self gratification who's going, oh, I love being single. I want to do this the rest of my life. And if you're married and you're doing this, it doesn't make sense because God has given you a better way. But it kind of comes back to this thought: maybe self gratification isn't about the body. Just maybe there's an emotional component that is bigger and deeper and that needs more healing. And I've had to be honest in my life and understand that the times that I'm driven to spend more time in that arena have been times in my life where I'm hurting, disappointed, and frankly, not sure of whether God will come through for me in the areas that I want him to. And I've had to repent of that. 
And that is where uh, you say, uh, we, we haven't really talked a lot about shame and guilt, but you've said, I've lived most of my life ashamed. Uh, it's relentlessly pursued me. And then you go through these different things that have happened to you in your life, mm. uh, in your childhood. And, and then one ballerina right. teacher said to you, you know, about your weight after you had had the surgery. And then a doctor said something to you that was just kind of an off the cuff thing. Mm-hmm. And you wonder, what in the world? What was he thinking when he said these, you know, crushing words to you? You have to you have to deal with that shame and that guilt, Right. Well, shame is interesting, right? Because we, we all have it because, I mean, sin brings in shame. I mean, the first thing Adam and Eve did after they sinned was hide, right? Why did they hide? Because they were ashamed. So we know that that's the ramification of sin. And we also know, we should know that Satan will use shame to keep us from God. And, and, and that's why we don't tell anyone our stuff, because we're ashamed. God, we know intuitively that God, who sees everything, who created everything, knows those things. So there's innately this, I think, when you're living with sin, a sense of shame. So now you don't come to the one person who can heal you from shame, who is God, right? And so because you're ashamed, and so so shame can become like this prison. And so what our culture has done with shame is deny it. Think about it. Now you can't shame anyone into anything. It's like you, if, it, if there's any act that makes you feel ashamed, you say, oh, the, the reason you feel ashamed is because of the rules that were put upon you. That's what a lot of people now interpret. Oh, you're a Christian and you're ashamed. That's because you're living under some archaic rule book. Uh, maybe not. Maybe First of all, maybe shame is an invitation to come into God's presence. It's a red flag in our system to say, well, why am I ashamed? Is it misplaced shame or is it rightly placed shame? And if it's rightly placed shame, then deal with it. And if it's misplaced shame, then throw it out the window. Look at the cross and embrace that grace, like you said earlier, Chris, that God has poured on you abundantly, that where sin abounded, grace abounds even more. I think a lot of people, and you really address this so well, are just working so hard to please God. And if I don't do this or don't do that or don't look at this or do, you know, then I, then God likes me. And if I do, boy, God doesn't doesn't like me at all. Mm -hmm. And you say real change happens when we stop worrying about the outcome and start focusing on Jesus. It's the same thing that you're a counselor, your therapist said, what you're looking really for, what you're really looking for is intimacy. That's what we are really craving way down deep inside. It, as I said, it's a really vulnerable book. You have uh, gone, come clean in a way to redeem what God has brought you through and then free others. So Lena, thank you for uh, spending the hour with us. There's a lot of folks who've had questions here and I just wanted to really get into your story. Thanks for sharing your heart with us today. Thanks for having me, Chris. I appreciate it. The book is Don't Tell Anyone You're Reading This, (laughs) A Christian Doctor's Thoughts on Sex, Shame, and Other Troublesome Issues. Lean into that. Lean into some of the wounds and the pain and the struggle and see what God does in your heart. Thank you for listening. And come on back. We're going to sigh together on a Friday right here at the Radio Backyard Fence. Chris Fabry Live is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Well, that's our show for today. Hey, we're so glad you tuned in. 
Uh, we'd love for you to come back next week. We're going to be just uh, enjoying the next few weeks talking about don't tell anyone you're reading this. And uh, I hope you have gotten this book. If you hadn't uh, yet, do it. If you know people in your life who could benefit from it, get it for them for Christmas. And uh, uh, tell them your doctor friend wrote it and you have no idea what it talks about. Uh, but really, at the end of the day, we want you to experience freedom in Christ. The entire uh, Living with Power ministry is meant to provide biblical truth for everyday life. And we do it by telling my story and God's story and the story of people of God in the Bible. And everything in our life has to do with God, doesn't it? So I hope that you're making connecting the dots in your life. I hope that God's word is more alive to you today than ever. If you are searching for answers, uh, plenty of old podcasts for you to check out, but all also, you can email me at lena at livingwithpower.org. I would love to answer you, and I um, will be here again next week. In the meantime, you can find me at livingwithpower.org. Love you guys, and I'll see you next week.